lot about remnant. I think this is probably the most serious message I've ever delivered in this pulpit in 15 years, 16 years almost, 15 and a half years. Why? Because of the crucial time that we are in. We are in such a crucial time. And I think it's no longer a decision, well, I think I'll follow this. But no, we have no choice but to follow. We have no option but to follow if you want to be with Christ, I believe, in, in eternity. We have no option. And we've heard a lot about remnant church all through the years. Even some churches named themselves remnant church. But, you know, it doesn't matter what your name is. It's what you are doing in God's eyes and according to his word and his will that makes the decision. You know, sometimes it just seems like a cool tag. I'm a remnant church. I'm a remnant believer. Well, you might be. But what does that mean to you? What does that mean to us? You know, impact we've been hearing the Spirit say to us for quite some time, you rise up to that remnant church status, and especially in these last days. And, of course, I always want to know, is remnant is the whole remnant concept biblical? You know, if it's not, we don't want it, right? We don't want anything that's not biblical. But, yes, it is biblical. Let's look at our, our foundational scripture. And this is going to be a series, maybe two or three weeks. I'm not sure exactly how long. But our foundational scripture is Revelations 12, 17. And it says, And then the dragon became enraged at the woman. Now, the woman represents the church. The dragon represents the devil. And went off to make war against the remnant of her offspring who follow the commands of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So what do we see here? We see that the remnant is a, is a, is a, a part of the church that's going to be at war. I say a part of the church because that's what a remnant is. A remnant is a part. The remnant flows, flows upstream when everybody else is flowing downstream. And so it's that part of the church that's going to be at war with evil. See, we need to be careful. We don't forget that we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting powers and principalities. And when we lower our vision to the people that are being used by the enemy, what do we do? We over, the devil's going, he's just over here continuing his plan. We're over here putting out little fires when he's creating big fires. So we have to keep our eyes on the big picture, which is powers and principalities. You take out the powers and principalities, the people are going to be different, right? These are just ambassadors of evil. That's all they are, just like we're ambassadors of Christ. They're going to follow whoever they're leading or whoever is leading them. So we see that in the last days, the remnant church is going to be a target for war, for evil. Now, it's always been a target for war, but can you feel the intensity that's happened in the, in just even in the recent months and years? But we also see there's an identification of this remnant. It's not just, oh, I'll be a part of the remnant. This is the qualification for the remnant. Those who follow the commands of God and have the testimony of Jesus. That's the remnant church. Those who follow, let me, I just did a little bit of, I was just pondering on this this morning and I felt impressed to look up that word follow. And this is what I found. It's verb tense, it's present active. What that means is, it's happening now and it's continuously happening. It's not something that happened years ago. It's not something that's going to be happening in the future. But it's something that is ongoing. So what it's saying is, we have an ongoing requirement to follow the commands that God is speaking today. See, the remnant church is a prophetic church. The remnant church hears the word of God. It hears the now word of God, the now commands of God. Let me tell you, the weapons of warfare we used five years ago and 15 years ago and 100 years ago are not the same weapons of warfare. 
or the strategies, I should say. The weapons are the same, but the strategies are different. God's strategy is different for a different time. So I want to ask us, are you getting the now word of God and what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Who are we listening to? Are we listening to the news? Are we listening to what the word of God says? Are we hearing the spirit? I know another thing, back in the spring, we were just kept hearing this for the church to hear what the spirit is saying. The church to hear what the spirit is saying. Some have heard, some have not. It's very clear. So the remnant army is a prophetic people. They obey God's now voice and they, and they don't, and we're going to talk about this more later. Let me just, I'm not, this is not today's message. This is all what God downloaded before I got here this morning after I had completed the message. But the remnant church is a very prophetic army of God. And it's an army of God that's going to hear the now word. And, and so let's look at what else the scripture has to say about the remnant. What is the character, other characteristics of the remnant? Zephaniah 3, 11 through 13. It says, on that day, you will no longer need to be ashamed for you no, no longer be rebels against me. I will remove all proud and arrogant people from among you. Wow, what happened today if God just reached down and pulled all the proud and arrogant out of the church world? I think a remnant would be remaining, right? I think a remnant would be, who are the proud and the arrogant? Those who think they have the answer. Those who are saying, well, I think it's this way or I think it's that way. I feel like this is right. I feel like that is right. I don't think God believes that today. Everybody's doing this, so it must be okay. That's the proud and the arrogant that would raise their voice against the word of Almighty God. The word of God never changes. That's what it tells us is that the word never changes. Okay? There will be no more haughtiness on my holy mountain. Haughtiness. Listen to this, those who are left, and this is the characteristic of the remnant church today. Those who are left will be lowly and humble, for it is they who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will, will do no wrong. They will never tell lies or deceive one another. They will eat and sleep in safety, and no one will make them afraid. So the remnant will not be proud. They will not be arrogant. They will not be haughty. But they're going to be humble, and they're going to be lowly. They're going to be, they're going to be marked by meekness. Marked by meekness. See, you know, when you're humble and you're lowly, you don't care who gets credit. When you're humble and lowly, you want to do, you want to serve God more than you want to serve yourself. You're not interested in exalting yourself. The meek and the lowly. But it's going to be few compared to the numbers. Also, it says that the remnant will be people of integrity. They're not going to participate in deception or dishonesty. They're not going to be people who tell lies and they're going to trust in God and they're going to be made afraid by what's going on around us. The remnant are fearless and they're secure because they trust in God. And it says we're going to sleep in safety. How many of us sleep in safety? You know, regardless of what we see going on around us, it shouldn't move us. It shouldn't shake us because we have, we trust in God. We, we trust in his, in him taking care of us. We are fearless. And we have to have these characteristics if we're going to be part of the remnant. So my prayer is that we begin to pray for these characteristics. You know, I love Derek Prince. And many of you read Derek Prince a lot. But you know what he said the greatest test in life is? Anybody remember from reading any of his stuff? Somebody, success. The greatest test in life is success. Why? He said, I don't know anyone that has successfully overcome it. Success. 
And he gives examples, and he talks about how Saul started out. This is not in my notes, but you can just, this will fit. He said Saul started out, and he said he was, he was small in his own eyes, right? But when he became large in his own eyes, there was no longer room for God. David started out humble, loving God, praising. What did he end up with? Adultery and murderer, right? To the point that it's still, even though he repented, God said there's going to be a house forever. Solomon started out, the greatest, most wisest man in the world. What did he end up? An idolater. An idolater. He says success is the hardest test. What do we do with success? Do we become haughty and proud? Doesn't tell us where we're really at with God if we try to use success as a measuring tool. Right? Man's success, the world's success. God sees success differently than man sees success. It's not about how many, how much money you have in the bank, how what the size of your house is, how many cars you have in your driveway. It's not about any of that. It's about where is my heart with God? Am I willing to submit my soul to the Spirit of God to live as He tells me to live? Am I willing to give someone else the credit? Am I willing to, to be submissive and humble and have be marked by meekness? Another character of the remnant, Isaiah 10, verses 20 and 22, says, In that day the remnant left in Israel, the survivors in the house of Jacob, will no longer depend on allies who seek to destroy them. They will faithfully trust the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return. Yes, the remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God, but through the people of Israel. But though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will return. See, the nation of Israel was, de- was depending upon people whose goal was to destroy them. Does that sound familiar? When we put ourselves as a nation in a position with people who really want to destroy us by requiring their resources... Does that remind us of anything? He says the people of God no longer have to do that. We're not dependent upon others' resources. So the remnant will remain faithfully, faithful, faithfully trusting God instead of seeking safety and security outside. I want to ask this. When we, when we find a crunch in our life, who do we run to first? Do we run to God first or do we run to man first? Or do we run to God and let God tell us which man to go to? Right? Do we trust in church affiliation? Do we trust in religious systems? Do we trust government to the point that we would compromise the word of God? Do we? Are you a part of the remnant? We also see in Jeremiah that God favors his remnant. Jeremiah 31 It says, now this is what the Lord says, sing with joy for Israel, shout for the greatest of nations, shout out with praise and joy. Save your people, O Lord, the remnant of Israel. It says, for I will bring them from the north and from the distant corners of the earth, and I will not forget the blind and the lame, the expectant mothers and the mothers in labor. A great company will return. Tears of joy will stream down their faces, and I will lead them home with great care. They will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my oldest child. So we see that the remnant are guided by God, not necessarily, and it's not necessarily those that are viewed as the strongest. or the best. It might be the blind and the lame. Oh, we would never use those. We would never use somebody with a record. We would never use somebody that has this against them. We would never use somebody that has that problem in their life. God says, I'm using the blind. I'm bringing the blind and the lame. You know, the blind weren't even allowed to hold, be a part of the Levitical priesthood. They were disqualified. 
by people. But let me tell you, God's going to use the blind and the lame in this day. He's going to use a lot of no-name people in this day that we're in. People that are willing to be humble and meek and, and give God the glory, not worry about whether or not they're going to get on Facebook posts or have a book printed or have a conference somewhere. God is interested in those who will seek after him fully and give him the glory and the credit. And it says also the quiet streams. That, and, and let me tell you, so that word, that word uh, quiet means still, a place of rest. And, and that word smooth means upright and long. It's not the same word that when David was talking about getting his five smooth stones. That's another word. This is a word, the yesar, which means uprightness and law-keeping. So what he's saying is they're going to walk beside those still waters and they're going to, and those smooth paths of right, like Terry said, look for the ancient paths. Those are the smooth paths. Not for the paths that have been carved out today because we just want to do it differently or because we've got a better idea. He says, go back to the ancient paths, those smooth paths, the path where my righteousness rules and reigns. And he said, that's where you're going to find that, re- that, that rest that you need. And this is a place of relationship with God. This is a place of relationship with God. And only in that place are we going to hear the now commands. That's the only place. And if we're trying to get our commands from what's on the news, you, you're going to, it's going to lead you to destruction. We're not, we have to hear the voice of God for today. See, we have to hear the Spirit crying out to us, hear the voice of the Spirit for the churches today. We have to hear that voice that's saying, draw a line in the sand. When I heard that, I immediately started examining. I mean, God, show me what's wrong. Show me what maybe I'm compromising. Or, or maybe, you know, David said even my secret faults. Well, you know, those secret faults may be secret to me, but it may be faults I know I have that I want to keep secret from you. Right? David said, Lord, show me my secret. Forgive me of my secret faults, my secret sins. So we have to be ready to examine ourselves. We also have to understand that the remnant is chosen by God. I'm going to write some theology this morning, I know. The remnant is chosen by God. Now, every one of you that's been born again has been chosen by God. You don't get born again unless the Spirit of God first initiates that. You can't come to God unless the Spirit initiates that. So the very fact that you have had an experience with God, that you say that you've met Him, we should fall on our face and just all in wonder that God would choose us and allow that to happen. Romans 11 says, And that is but one example of what God is doing in this age of fulfillment, but God's grace empowers His chosen remnant. And since it is by God's grace, it can't be a matter of their good works. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift of grace, but earned by human effort. So then Israel failed to achieve what it had strived for, but the divinely chosen remnant receives it by grace while the rest were hardened and unable to receive the truth. I'm talking, you know, who gets their hearts hardened? Those who have had their heart enlightened, and then all of a sudden in rebellion, like Eve, in rebellion, I don't want to do it this way. I don't like this word. I'm not happy with this life, you know, that I have to live. I'm, I don't want to take that narrow path. I want the path that everybody else is taking. Have we all been on the broad path? Haven't we all been on that broad path? Aren't you glad you're on the narrow path? And if you're not, you can be on it today when you leave here. Right? Amen. So, so then, so let me read that verse 7. So then Israel failed to achieve what it had strived for, but the divinely chosen remnant receives it by grace while the rest were hardened 
Now, I thought, well, okay, let me just look up that word chosen just in case it means something else, you know. Well, this is what it means, deliberately selected, deliberately selected. John six forty four says, nobody can come to the Father or come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. See, do you see how incredibly wonderful it is that God would choose each of us? And you know, the thing is, he usually chose us at our worst time, right? He usually chose us at our worst. That's what amazes us as people. We would wait till you get yourself cleaned up. Then we might consider it, right? When you follow these five steps and these three steps and you've done this and all of this other stuff, God said, no, I'm coming to you at your worst time. And I'm choosing you because he can see what lies ahead. He can see what. I, and so it makes us even more, more careful what we do with this incredible salvation that we have received, that we don't want to turn in rebellion. Hebrews 2, 3 says, how can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If we just turn our backs and we, in rebellion, our soul require, our soul begins to require things that, that God is not allowing us to do or to have. Our soul begins to call the shots. Our soul begins to make the decisions and it's totally inconsistent with the word of God. That's rebellion. See, that's why salvation requires repentance, not signing your name on a sheet of paper. Salvation requires repentance because repentance is a total turnaround. It's saying, God, I no longer will rebel. I'm I'm receiving and accepting your word and your word only. The remnant experiences the power of God's grace. Let me read Ephesians 3, 7. Paul says, I have been made a messenger of this wonderful news by the gift of grace that works through me. Every one of us have been made a messenger. Every one of us are ambassadors for Christ. That means you carry the message of the gospel. You might carry it in a different place than it's carried in here. You carry it on your job. You carry it in the, in the pub. You carry it in your family. You have been made an ambassador. You've been made a messenger. Even though I am the least significant of all of his believers, his holy believers. You ever feel that way? You ever ask God, how in the world are you using something like me? You ever ask God that? Or do you sit there and say, God, I'm so glad that you chose me because, you know, I can really do this for you. And then it goes on to say, even though I am the least significant, okay, this grace gift was imparted when the manifestation of his power came upon me. Grace alone empowers me so that I can boldly preach this wonderful message to non-Jewish people, to the Gentiles, sharing with them the unfading, inexhaustible riches of Christ, which are beyond comprehension. You are chosen. You are given the opportunity to become a part of the remnant. But the decision is really ours at the end of the day. God chose us. God initiated it. But what is our response? The grace is is God's forgiveness and God's response to our sin, our repented sin. What is our response back to him? I'll get you later, God. Well, let me finish this little thing. Well, you know, I'm involved in this little relationship that's not really right. So maybe I'll check with you in about a month or so, you know. Do we ever do things like that? I'm going to give you five questions to ask yourself to see if you're a part of the remnant. This is all coming out of what I just said. The first question is, Jesus, Lord of your life, have you been born again? The remnant are chosen by God's grace. Jesus is grace and truth. And in Christ alone, we have salvation. Have you been born again? Have you repented? Have you turned your back on the sin that was ruining and ruling your life? Have you done that? Number two, who is your source? 
The remnant trusts in God alone and they do not look to men. Who is our source? Who do we go to for advice? Who do we go to for counsel? Do we go to God in his word or do we go to whoever? You read Psalms 1. You know, those who, don't, who do not seek counsel of the ungodly are the ones that put their hands to things and it prospers. We want to quote that part. Oh, everything I put my hands to prospers. We're out getting counsel from everybody ungodly. We're sitting in the path of scorners, people that will make fun of the, you know. The other thing about the remnant is the remnant is going to be an isolated group of people and they're going to come under the attack of the rest of the church even. Joseph Matera, just this, I mean, December, I just saw it this week. He published nine, nine characteristics. It's not any of these, but he's talking about in the world today. Powerful, you should read that. Joseph Matera. So who is your source? Number three, are you obedient to the word? You might say, I've been born again. What are you doing today? Don't tell me what you did 20 years ago. What are you doing today? Are you walking in obedience to the word? Or are we just kind of kicking it to the curb? Well, that's not relevant for today. That's what the world wants us to know. The remnant are empowered by grace that comes from union in God and are given eyes to see, to understand, to walk in the truth of God's will and his word. Let me read 2 Peter 1 to you. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We're to train ourselves in godliness, Timothy tells us. And then it goes on, we have received all of this by coming to know Jesus, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are promises that enable us to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promise. Supplement your faith with a general vision of moral excellence. Now, I think we all know what moral excellence is, right? Where am I? And moral excellence with knowledge. That's the knowledge of the Word of God. And knowledge with self-control. That's the soul, you know, when the something up and the soul's wanting something that you know is not good. That's when you say, in, you know, in the name of Jesus, submit to the Spirit of God. Submit to the Word of God. And self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it so many believers can be on one side of the line and the others on the other side of the line and they both say they love Jesus? Somebody's deceived, right? Somebody's deceived. I'm going to close with three scriptures. And these are some of the ones that I say scare me sometimes. We've got to decide what we're going to do with these scriptures. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Terry read this a little minute a minute ago. I didn't. I told him to go ahead and read it, even though I knew it was coming up in my sermon, because this is a very important scripture. And I've tried to tear this thing apart to find every way I can think of that it's not going to mean what it looks like it means. But I'm telling you, it means exactly what it says. Come to God through the narrow gate, because the wide gate and the broad path is the way that leads to destruction. Nearly everyone chooses the crowded road. The narrow gate and the difficult way leads to eternal life, so few even find it. What is that saying to us? You know, Jesus says you can tell a tree by its fruit. You can identify a person by their fruit. 
You can identify a person as the remnant. Our actions must be consistent with the word of God. We can't proclaim the word and then violate it with our actions. Luke 13, 24. Now this first word gives me a little problem and so I looked it up, but it means exactly what it says. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Let me know what that word strive means. It means to strain or to fight, to exert much energy or it's conceived of as engaging in a fight or a contest. Who are you fighting? I thought salvation was free. Salvation is free. But my old pastor Bradford used to say, salvation's free, but it'll cost you the world to keep it. There's truth in that. We're fighting those, those, those desires of the flesh and the desires of the soul. We're, we're fighting those, those old prejudices and those old mindsets that we have had for years. We're warring. Paul says the spirit wars against the flesh because it wants its own way. The soul says... I want this, I think that, I feel this. It's the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life. This is the fight that we have. By the way, these are all in red in your Bible. In Matthew seven twenty-one and 23, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who broke God's laws. This is unrepentant sin coming before the throne. Salvation is free, but it'll cost you the world to keep it. I believe that. I want you to stand. What the Lord wants us to do, I believe, is to have a time of self-reflection. If you sat here and heard this, you think, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. You're the worst one in here. Let me tell you that. That's pride and arrogance. And nobody in here is okay. There's something in us. I'm not judging anybody. But let me tell you, I know, I've lived long enough to know we have our little stuff. We have our little things. Nobody's going to tell me this. I know I'm right on that. I know this is okay. Well, this is a different day. The Word of God is written 6,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. This is a different day. The Word of God is forever unchangeable. If God didn't like something in Israel and Canaan land, He doesn't like it now. And for us to try to justify it is the height of arrogance. And it's also it's ignorance because it will cost us our eternity with Him. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, Examine your own selves and see if you're still in the faith. I'm asking us, right? I want us to take some time. I want us to examine our hearts and see if we're still in the faith. I'm not talking about the faith you were raised in. I'm talking about the faith of the Word of God. I'm not talking about your denominational faith. I'm talking about the faith that's found in the Word of God. Holiness. God says without holiness, a man will see him. So I want us just to take some time, a few minutes, as the worship team sings. And just be honest with yourself. This has been a tough message for me to put together, but also 
to deliver because I know the powers of darkness do not want you to get this revelation of truth. The powers of darkness do not want you to be the remnant because that's more than they have to contend against. But God says He's given us life and He's given us life abundantly. It's for the remnant. It's for the remnant. It's for those that are chosen by God. It's for those who are walking in obedience. It's not just an old haphazard faith, Christianity. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Please just let your hearts be tender before God. I want to be tried by fire, purified. Take whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. I want to be tried by fire. Purified. Take whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. I want to be tried by fire. Purified, you take whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. Wanna be tried by fire. Purified, you take whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. If the altar's where you need us, take me there, take me there. What you need is just an offering. It's right here, my life is here, and I'll be a living sacrifice to you. You're a refiner, the refiner. I want to be consumed. I want to be tried by fire. Purified. Take whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. I want to be tried by fire. Purified. You take whatever you desire. Lord, Lord is my life. life. If your glory wants to come here, let it fall. We want it all. Once your fire is consuming, fill this place, set it ablaze, and, and I'll, I'll be unleashed. I want to be consumed. I want to be tried by fire. Purified. You take whatever you desire. Lord, you 
turn away from the things that you were holding to. You have to radically change your mind on the things that you viewed were now acceptable, maybe. They're no longer acceptable. We have to get radical with that sin that wants to destroy us. Those little those little besetting sins that it talks about in Hebrews that weighs us down and keeps us from becoming all that God wants us to be. So many start out great and end up a flop. Because they could not handle the success. They could not handle the fame. They could suddenly they became big in their own eyes. And things of God were no longer really important. I remember hearing Jim Baker years and years ago after he was, you know, his sin was made public. He said, I really thought that God would overlook it because of all I had done for him. Him say that on TV. He, he was saying that in a repentant way. How foolish of me, he said. God's word is truth, and nobody is exempt from the word of God. Can we ask God to purify our hearts, purify our minds? God, remove from us those sins, those attitudes, those prejudices, God, that just holds us back, that trips us up. God, I know you want to use everyone in here in a mighty way, but you want to use them for your glory and not ours. God, let our hearts be so pure before you that we would only desire to bring glory to you and not to ourselves. God, that we're willing to say we'll take a back seat just for you to take the front. God, we desire only to bring honor and glory to you. 
God, you've seen our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can make our hearts tender to receive the word of truth. It's the word in your spirit that brings life into our lives. So God, let our hearts be so tender towards you. Let our hearts be open to Holy Spirit. Let us, Lord, have ears to hear what you are saying to your people. Let us have ears to hear the now commands of God. And not be so bound up in our prejudices and our thought processes that we, we, our hearts are hardened and we cannot receive. God, help us. I believe the bride of Christ is a remnant church. I really do. And the rest is sadly going to miss it. I believe that. I see early today than I've ever seen it in 41 years of serving the Lord. And it concerns me, breaks my heart when I see what I see. I just want to encourage us as a church, those listening that belong to impact, purify your heart before God. Don't allow pride. Don't allow compromise. Don't allow your opinion to matter more than the Word of God matters. If you have sinned or are in sin, repent. God's He's gracious to forgive us and merciful. There's not a one of us that hasn't missed it somewhere. But let me tell you, God is gracious. And in His grace, we're going to find forgiveness. And in His grace, we're going to be called to be a part of that remnant. We're no longer going to walk as we once walked. And the fruit will be evident. The fruit will be evident. Everybody good? One quick announcement. In February, we will begin an Entrepreneur Insight Group. This is for existing business owners and for those aspiring to own a business. The focus will be on establishing kingdom businesses that expand God's kingdom and creates biblical prosperity. We'll discuss principles in business that will be that will help us build on his plan for success and not the world's. For now, this is only open to members of Impact Remnant. And for those 18 above, and I know you might say, well, I've got some teens that want to start a business. That's a different group. Maybe down the road, but 18 above. If you have an interest, that's me. Email me. Bless you.